0: Hey guys, Montel Here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Mattel. My guest today is a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania and the Wharton Business School. She started working with Snoop Dogg. Come on now, as an intern back and, and quickly rose through the ranks to lead his cannabis business development. She's also um negotiated uh, two of the largest licensing deals at the time in history of the cannabis space. And under her direction, Leafs by Snoop generated over $50 million in annual revenue while available in only two territories, Canada and Colorado. Most recently, she helped to launch Death Row Cannabis. Tiffany Chen, thank you so much and welcome for being. Thank you for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montella Day.
1: Happy to be here. Thank you so much for that intro.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, can you tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, what you envisioned you were going to be doing for your career once you graduated from school?
1: Yeah, of course. So I was born and raised in the Midwest, uh, born in Ohio, and I left before I turned two to Illinois. Um, When I was 10, my dad's job moved him to Beijing. So I actually lived in China until I graduated from high school, went to an international school um, and, you know, came back to the United States every summer, every winter just to stay close to family and friends that were here. Uh, After university, you know, I studied marketing management and minored in music, um, which you would imagine would be extremely useful in in the management music career. But it's it's not exactly like business management and business marketing is not is not managing talent. Right. So um, as most people who graduate from Penn do, they end up going into consulting or banking. So I actually went into consulting for about eight months. And it was an actuarial accounting and sciences, which was extremely dull. Um, The most exciting project I had there was for the Department of Labor. So that should tell you kind of how how that uh, career trajectory might have gone. So I kind of took a big leap of faith and just applied for an internship out here in Los Angeles, moved myself from Philly all the way out here. in, In a moment's notice, I would say less than two weeks. And started as an intern making like $1,500 a month living in a back house of someone's, of a lawyer's uh, uh, pool house, right? Uh, So that's how I ended up being in cannabis uh, and working for Snoop. But it was definitely a windy road and definitely not what I expected I would be doing um, going through college and, and going through my professional career.
0: But Let me pause you for a second. I mean, what did you see? An ad in the newspaper and said, hmm, I think I'm interested in cannabis. Were you already involved with cannabis on your own? Was it personal or what was going on? I mean, what, what made so you I, think I, of I really,
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I was really interested in being in entertainment. I think at the time it was like 2008, the financial crisis had just occurred and it was still definitely happening in a res- residual sense. And I really wanted to go into entertainment because I thought it was an extremely um, inelastic good, meaning people don't necessarily, um, they still spend money on entertainment, whether it's TV, video games, reading the internet, um, all these different types of things they still spend money on. So I really wanted to be in entertainment. So I applied for an internship, uh, posting that was on the, my university website for careers. And I really didn't expect a callback. You know, I had applied for at William Morris, CAA, all the big agencies that you know and hear of out here in in Hollywood and Los Angeles, um, but because I didn't have that previous experience or had done any internships in my college experience, no one wanted to take me on. So, um, turns out that the owner of this management company also went to Penn and not a lot of people from our university go into this industry. They end up going into banking, consulting, all those things. Uh, so I think once he saw my resume come across the table, he was like, bring her out here. Let's do it. Let's see what she can do. And it ended up being a really great experience. And, um, here I am. Yeah.
0: Ah, and and you were not uh, at, uh, at all taken aback by cannabis. Had you been a cannabis enthusiast in college or?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I actually first tried cannabis freshman year of college, as I think a lot of people might do. Uh, it was really hard to find and access in China when I lived there um, in the mid to that early mid 2000s. So I remember in call in high school, Uh, senior year. And these three guys that were on our, like, uh, they were part of a jazz combo. They were on the side smoking weed. And all of us were like, that's so bad for you. It's terrible. Why aren't they drinking? And obviously I have evolved my thinking after getting to know cannabis and understanding all the facets around it. Um, And so throughout college, I dabbled a little bit, maybe more in junior and senior year, really got to be um, a frequent user and when I actually applied for this internship, it wasn't for cannabis. It was just as a general entertainment intern to see whether or not, like a PA kind of, to see whether or not I'd be gotcha. interested in this world and see if i wanted to stick around. The actual cannabis introduction and um, business opportunity didn't come until about two or three years after I had been an intern and a business development manager. Uh, and it was interesting at the time, you know, it was 2014 and Colorado and Washington had just legalized. And so there was this mad dash to figure out what the strategy would be to potentially launch a celebrity backed brand, right? Are we looking to maybe partner up with other people like Cheech and Chong and Willie Nelson and the Marley family, or are we going to do something on our own? Or do we not want to do anything at all and figure out a way to do a national thing in maybe a more um, non-federally regulated product, right? So like CBD or something. And so at the time thing, and, things were very narrow in terms of how we could move. So we decided to explore Colorado and Washington and see what the opportunities were. Um, at the time, Snoop's manager who owned the management company in which I was employed uh, looked around the office and was like, there's nobody in our office who smokes weed every day and also has business knowledge and progress except for Tiffany and he knew he knew that I was like, he knew that I smoked every day. But he was also like, I think this is gonna be a really great idea because Timmy doesn't look like the average smoke weed every day kind of person, right? And and the way right. that she presents herself may be disarming to some people that are frequently seeing certain types of individuals in the cannabis space, right? And um he was like, also, your knowledge in the cannabis space is really uh I don't want to say unmatched, but it's interesting because. When I first moved out here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this fun story. When I first moved out here, I was not willing to sign up for a medical card in California. I don't know why. I was young. I didn't want my name on a rec- record. I'm really not sure what my logic was 10, 15 years ago. So I ended up asking a uh, one of my coworkers at the company, at the management firm, was like, I actually have a friend. He is the drummer in my boyfriend's band, and he actually grows cannabis in the gray market. And he sells it by the pound to dispensaries. I'm gonna introduce you to him. He will hook a homie up for an ounce or whatever. And so um, she gives me his number. I text him. He comes down to my place. And as these deals go, I get into his car uh, on the passenger side. As I'm sure you can imagine, it's very awkward to look at somebody at a 90 degree angle, um, as opposed to like when you're sitting across a table from someone and you can freely have a nice conversation while looking at them. So I immediately look at him and I'm like, wow, this guy is really cute. Um, and I look like crap. I haven't showered. I my clothes probably have some stains on it. I've brushed my teeth. Here's your money, give me my weed, bye. Uh, you know, three months later, I was like, okay, I want to get some more. And I actually texted him and said, Hey, um, I'd like to get some more cannabis, but also I don't know if you remember what I look like. Would you like to go out for a drink sometime? Um, 12 years later, we're now married and we have a kid. And mm. the great thing about it is, yeah. It's funny. The great thing about it is that because of his, you know, it's not huge. It was maybe like 10,000 square feet indoor facility, but it gave me the jumpstart knowledge, aside from the business aspect of things and understanding supply chain and everything else, um, how to grow cannabis. Right. So I'm not going to say I'm an expert at all in any way, shape or form, but um, I have been to many, many dispensaries and many, many grow facilities around the world. And Snoop trusts my abilities and um, my eye to understand whether or not a facility really is up to snuff for his quality standards. So um, that's a little bit about why and how I got into the spot. Um, and I would say it's a bunch of like happy accidents that just ended up being really, really well. Like my, my performance obviously may not have been an accident, but um, to get into this spot, to fall into it, I would say... Um, someone guided me here. I don't know who it
0: is, but I'm glad to be here. That's great. Look, you know, if I can, I, I hope you don't mind. I'd love to just pick your brain a little bit because, you know, there are so many misconceptions about cannabis and China. Um, ha- let's go back to, to that experience because I understand like right now, you know, China is growing, probably has some of the, the largest hemp fields in the world waiting to, to unleash this on the planet. Um, at least that's my, what I've heard and, you know, there I have no legitimate reasons for believing that, but get, tell me a little bit about, uh, cannabis and China and how they feel about it and, and, you know, what's going on and should we all fear the fact that, you know, five years from now, that's where we are buying it from.
1: Yeah. I mean, China is where things are made, right? Regardless of what it is, um, if there's a product, it's usually made in China um, just for cost purposes. I know that things are shifting to South Asia as well as population um, densities change. But uh, growing up in China, it was most definitely conservative when it came to um, sex and drugs, right? So anything drug-related other than cigarettes, which is really interesting, were really looked down upon. Um, and, you know, I, I never even entertained smoking marijuana until i was in college um and and i would
0: say that that sorry sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you but it was truly illegal so if you got caught with cannabis in china would you go to jail i mean i've i've gotten i'm telling you i've had people fill me with a whole bunch of bull. um you know and and uh i've been told there's areas in china where you know cannabis kind of grows freely um and as long as you're yes. not selling it nobody complains right or is that i true? mean
1: if you look back at the age of cannabis it's from china right and we actually right. in chinese it's called gamma which is like the big mother plant um and i believe that it has been used in medicinal purposes for for many many years throughout history in china right. three
0: thousand um, plus
1: three thousand years yeah and No, I would say that if anything, you know, I'm not an expert when it comes to, I just lived there and I didn't really get to interact as much with the local community as I probably should have just because we were sequestered in a very closed off international community space. But I would, I would probably liken it back to when, when Mao and, you know, the cultural revolution happened in the fifties and sixties, um, they really demonized a lot of like, not just products, but, um, habits or things that people would do that wouldn't be for the communal good, and I believe that cannabis would most definitely fall under that. So, I, given the history of things and how it has definitely been used in Eastern medicine for millennia, um, I believe that it's very similar to a lot of things in the Western society where things have then been controlled for per, some purposes or other, ulterior motives, and and things that may you know, like for example. Cannabis and crack, like crack cocaine, definitely to malign the black and brown community, right? And to lock them up. And that's, that was not said out loud, but it was most, it's now most definitely acknowledged. So I'm wondering if it's a similar situation in China where when the new powers came to be in the mid century of, you know, the last century, they were trying to control the population through behaviors um, that they thought were unsavory. Uh, and I most definitely think cannabis would, cannabis use would fall under that, which it's really great to see a lot of people now trying to change that perception and narrative of, you know, maybe you call us stoners, but we're still productive. We're extremely productive members of society. We're not stoners that are just laying out on the floor and strung out. That's not something that cannabis is for. So um, that's a great question. I I, I haven't had that question yet. and It's really interesting to think about.
0: Yeah. I I just also, you know, I am now, maybe I'm wrong, but I I know as you travel around the world, Representing its brand and looking at cannabis and and CBD and cannabinoids and things, I have been told, and maybe I'm wrong. So please correct me if I am wrong. I want to be corrected. Um I've been told right. that there are millions of acres of hemp being grown right now in China. Is that true? Is that false? Is that some bull crap that somebody made? From up what I speak? know. Yeah, no,
1: from my sources as well, um, I, I think you're right. I think that's all happening in um, central China and, you know, the East coast of China is where all the population lives and there's some in the West as well, but central China is really, really great for, for agriculture and they're probably ready, getting, getting geared up and ready for all of the different things that hemp can actually do and produce like plastics, like bedding, like concrete. Sure. It's not going to be called concrete. It'll be called hemp cream. but like okay. making a car. I don't know if you know this, but Ford made, car out of hemp back in the 1900s like that was one of the first cars the, he made it was made out of hemp
0: absolutely one of yeah, a lot of people didn't know that as a matter of fact ford actually made the car run off of hemp seed oil people don't know that he wasn't looking for petroleum he was using that's hemp seed oil. i didn't know that because i thought they petroleum. made one there. yeah no i, I think at his first round of this i think was that again you hear the rumors, I don't know, you know, who, who knows what's true or what's false, but if you have heard, so there is being grown in China in anticipation of broader use worldwide.
1: Um, yeah, I was just going to say it's international commerce is already happening. Um, Canada, as one of the largest federally legal um, territories, is allowed to export product to a bunch of European countries and um, Australia and New Zealand. So it's really interesting to see how the federal like borders coming down for cannabis is affecting international commerce. And if and when China comes in, even if it's only on the hemp side of things, that's going to be a game changer uh, in terms of product flooding the market um, and alternative sources of biomass. I think that's going to be a huge, huge, huge
0: thing. Yeah, and I think a lot of people in the United States don't recognize the fact that right now in Colombia, there's probably a million acres set aside right now to grow hemp in Colombia. In South Africa, Lesotho is also growing a million acres worth of hemp and cannabis-based products. So, I mean, what we're doing here, you know, it's really funny, I often, often say, you know, it's how dare we think that we leave the planet when we're only 330 million strong, but the rest of the world has been really leading and taking the lead in this in a way that hopefully we can try to catch up.
1: Yeah, I fully agree. I think that the only thing that we can say we're winners at maybe is um, the culture of California and bringing cannabis wide. And I I think Death Row Records from the 90s was really instrumental in doing so and bringing the vibe of good times, house parties, good music in conjunction with cannabis um, and, and and bringing that wide to the community and understanding that it's not supposed to be vilified.
0: Absolutely. And so, you know, earlier, just you, you you mentioned the fact that your current husband, then prospective boyfriend, <laughs> um, was working in the gray market. Why don't you explain what the gray market is, everybody, so I understand?
1: Yeah, sure. So the gray market um, essentially is everything before, in California specifically, everything before 2016. So 2016 is when cannabis was legalized recreationally for everyone in the state above the age of 21. Uh, Prior to that, there was a compassionate care program where you could get a medical license from a doctor. Um, And I want to say doctor in quotes because yes, they are MDs, but you would essentially pay 50 to $100, talk to a doctor and tell them your reason for why you want cannabis. Um, most people say back pains, I have trouble sleeping, I have glaucoma um and you you end up seeing a lot of these excuses parodied in media right like in TV shows or in movies. The thing is there are most definitely people who can benefit like cancer patients and everything from from cannabis um but at the time there were most definitely over fifty percent of the medical users were technically recreational users like I, I'll tell you I was one of them um but, but yeah, I have I would, found I would, that.
0: I'm sorry, I was uh, not to interrupt you, but I would kind of flip that the other way because I just tear me out. Even though you find yourself or you you would declare yourself a recreational user, I would say that, hmm, if I had a 20 minute conversation with Tiffany, I might find out that you do it because, ah, you know what, Montel it just makes me feel more relaxed. Montel, I do it because I yeah. feel more creative. Montel, I do it because, you know what, when I come home, I want to just take the stress off. Well, guess what? From my perspective, easing stress, relaxing, even becoming more creative is medical in some ways. And so I like to look at it the other way. I like to say that more than 90 percent, even those who go to the store recreationally and buy, don't even know that they're buying for a deeply laden medical reason. And so, therefore, if we change the perspective. Huh? Huh?
1: I was going to say, say I fully agree. I'm
0: sorry, to interrupt. I fully agree. No, 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 no! Don't bother. I, I, so, I, I, um, I, I think that that nowadays, and, and as we're looking at, I mean, in the last two years alone, every year for the last two years, there's been well over 3,500 peer-reviewed published documents worldwide talking about the medical efficacies of cannabis. And that's in everything from, you know, research that was done last year in Australia that proved that cannabis and some of the cannabinoids have uh, the uh, are one of are some of the only chemicals on the planet that have extreme impact on things like pancreatic cancer. We are seeing cannabis. Actually, you know, I'm an MS survivor and, and I have been using cannabis since my day of diagnosis because, it actually impacts my symptoms. No ifs, ands, or buts. Different than any other drug that I could ever probably come in contact with. Um, and I know so many other people, you know, I think, you know, Sanjay Gupta made people think that cannabis only works for seizures, but cannabis works for almost any and every ailment on the planet in some way, shape, or form. Um, now, that, that doesn't mean that everybody needs to have a medical card. <laughs> that just means that Let's make sure that what we make available to people is as efficacious medically as it is recreationally.
1: Yes, I fully agree, and there there obviously needs to be more research done. It's it's crazy to think that the only facility allowed in the United States to do research on cannabis for the longest time was the University of Mississippi. And Montel, I don't know if you ever saw those sample packs of pre rolls that they were handing out are to we, patients during testing periods. Me?
0: Are you kidding me? 12 years ago, before most people even knew about it, I had Irv on my show. Irv gave me one of the canisters. They have some of the dankest, roughest, nastiest weed on the planet that was grown at the Uterus of Mississippi. But what it's people don't rad. understand. Yeah, but people don't understand they were growing it to disprove its efficaciousness, which is different than growing something to just see what it does the same way they researched it in Israel and other places on the planet. Yeah, I know you probably don't know this about me, but I've been involved in this industry now for 22 years, long before it was vogue. I think even before or right at the same time that the death row records were coming about, coming out and talking about smoking weed every day. I was one of those that was promoting the opportunity and had an opportunity to go to places like Israel and other places around the world to actually look at the way cannabis was being utilized. And when you just said, You know, a lot more research needs to be done. I got to tell you something, my dear. If you really look at the amount of research that's been done on cannabis, there has been no other drug or no other chemical known to man that has been researched as much as cannabis has. So really, sometimes I feel like that's something that's just said by politicians that don't know what they're talking about. Because the truth of the matter is, I think there's 35,000 peer-reviewed studies out there right now. About or not studies peer-reviewed documents published about cannabis more so than any other chemical, more so than the aspirin that's in your medicine cabinet. So you know the research is there. Now what we have to do is start actually culling the research, looking at the research and researching the research, so we understand the fact that this is a viable product for most people to consider, and especially when every day the pharmaceutical industry is shoving a new drug down your throat that's got more side effects than anything else in nature where you could take something in nature and literally ease some of the problems that you're having so you know no, i mean I I, um, I I agree with you that yes still more research needs to be done but let's just look at the stuff that's already been done so far to date
1: oh, i was just saying maybe maybe what it is instead i should say is that the research that's already out there needs to be packaged and marketed in a correct and better way for the masses to understand it And accept it. Um, I think that you're right. There has been a plethora of research done. Um, but even someone like me has not seen all of these documents and all of these, um, peer reviewed, you know, uh, statistically significant population type of studies, right? So that's, that's important. And I think that the exposure to that is what's needed.
0: So yeah, I mean, I I think there's a considerable amount of more research that needs to get done. Um, I think what we ought to do is spend a little bit of time cuddling the research that's already been done Um, and then, you know, proceeding on the way we are as an an industry. One of the things I, I find that's crazy about this industry is that we do such a great job from a B2B standpoint, but we don't do that great of a job from a B2C standpoint. Wondering, and what I mean by B2C is I'm talking about business to consumer, I mean, you know, it's almost like when we first started in this business, everybody was trying to educate the consumer. And then all of a sudden we just let that go. Let's figure out how many more deals we can make and sell more weed. But let's go back and understand that there's still a population here that needs to understand why cannabis. That's something I think that that, you know, just my opinion. But I really think that, you know, because now Snoop is such a recognized ambassador for products of everything from, you know, sketchers to you name it. And the consumer, whereas 10 years ago may have looked at what he's doing with a jaded eye, now they're actually impressed by and looking at it more, you know, favorably. So I'm not saying why not in an aspersion kind of a way, but why not spend a little bit more time turning Snoop and help me Snoop get his messages across about the positive effects of cannabis and what he sees. He could be one of the master educators right now and, you know, lead a generation into cannabis that has been still trying to push away. What do you think? I don't know.
1: That was, that's definitely, so based on which territories we launch into, we have very different strategies around how much and if to educate, right? So, In the California market and in some other more mature markets, we find that um, efforts are not as necessary. But in other markets, we do educate not only about the brand and what type of niche or category we are falling into, but also the different types of usage, as well as the different type of cannabinoids that are infused or naturally occurring in the product itself and um, what effects it may or may not have. On the more scientific side of things, um, with the research of you know, like now CBN, CBG, CBD, all those other cannabinoids that are not getting the top bill as THC is. um, I think that there are are a lot of beliefs and understandings, but not yet mass adoption into those because everyone's still focused on what's the best bang I can get for my buck and how, how, how high can I get, right? And it's not about that. It is about having a good time, but, you know, I think everything right now is trying to test at twenty five plus percent THC, but people don't understand that the high anxiety that people get from smoking cannabis is because of the lack of whole plant cannabinoids that usually support the THC. So absolutely I mean I've seen
0: I also have a brand out and and I've seen this all over the place where I'm all over the country. I'm in Massachusetts, I'm already going to go into Georgia. and unfortunately, you know, I think this is where the industry has done itself as a service, because as much as we have been trying to figure out how fast we can sling weed, we have not figured out the demographic we need to be slinging it to. You know, when you take a look at how high can I get, you know, I'm not trying to be a, a jerk, but I would think that, you know, you're really talking about a demographic, which was the old, you know, marketing ag- ag- demographic for all uh products, 18 to 34. That's why we look at TV. You just see 18 to 34-year-olds in all the commercials. Well, when it comes to cannabis, you know, the 18 to 34-year-old, and I go visit dispensaries. I do dispensary pop-ups in Massachusetts all the time. i about to do another group um, next month in, in June. When I show up at the dispensary, we start to see that the demographic changes throughout a the day. There's you know, probably a, a greater percentage of baby boomers and close to baby boomers that are in the store because I'm there because that's my 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 demo. But um, at the same time, these are the ones who need this product even more so than the younger generation. We've proved You look in Israel. Israel looks at cannabis as a geriatric drug. You look in Europe. They're looking at it as a drug to help seniors and people who are getting older who are on multiple medications get off some of those medications that they're on. Here in the United States, we're still trying to sling weed to get you as high as you want. Well, you know, the 65-year-old grandma isn't really interested in getting as high as she can be and not being able to deal with life. You know, she just wants some relief from the fact she can't sleep. She wants some relief from that neuropathic pain she's got in her feet from arthritis. She wants some relief from that gout. She wants, you know, so um we have to start, I think, educating enough to make people understand that. Again, not just from a whole plant perspective. You know, I had an opportunity, fortunately, I was very blessed to be able to actually sit down with Dr. Mashulam in his office in Israel and a really long conversation with him. He impressed upon me in that conversation that, Martel, cannabinoids are like an orchestra. You know, I can play Beethoven without drums, but it's not Beethoven. Though the strings are more prominent in Beethoven, the drums are still there. That's what actually has the oomph behind the, the music. Well, why would I want to just have cannabis that only has strings in it when the oomph behind the movement could be the CBG, could be the CBN, could be the A version, the acid variant variants of every single one of them that actually enforces or helps to, in some ways, give my body the homeostatic relief that it's supposed to get from the plant. When we try to isolate just THC, do we really hit homeostasis? Remember, and you know this, but, you know, our bodies are, and all mammals on this planet, were genetically grown to actually consume cannabis because we have receptors in our bodies that are made to not just receive THC, but CBD, CBN, CBD. We have other, and we're just now starting to discover all that. That needs to be, I think, enforced to ensure the longevity of cannabis as a product and not just something that came. You know, I can remember things like call poppers and the other little things that kind of came and went. Well, guess what? Cannabis has been around a long time, but it's only going to stick around a longer time if we actually start to make people understand the entire plant, the reason why it's a value. And, you know, I mean, when we come back to just plant-based medicine, You know, I'm a very strong believer in the fact that what Albert Einstein said in the last century is true. For every action is an equal and opposite reaction. So for every disease on this planet, nature put a cure for it on this planet and it put it in probably a plant-based medicine. We should be looking at cannabinoids as that plant-based medicine that we have not figured out. 20 years from now, we're going to start to understand that there may be a cannabinoid that we haven't even mentioned yet that could be the direct cure for 20 different analyses. Unless we actually start studying it, we won't know, but yeah. So tell me a little bit about Leafs. And that was the fact that that was one of the, the first celebrity brands available in the country. And you, you have those both in the United States and in Canada, but in Canada, they have this weird thing where celebrities can't market cannabis, right?
1: Correct. Correct. So we actually launched in the medical market in Canada And those regulations were not in place. Those limitations were not in place. And so we were able to essentially get into the market, get into people's heads and minds and understanding before we had to drastically pare down our colorways, our branding, taking out the word Snoop from our brand. And when we developed the brand name back in 2014, we actually had these thoughts and created the brand with that potential situation in the future. So this is a, another interesting story around how the brand came to be. We initially tried to retcon LBC. So we were trying to figure out how that acronym could be utilized for Snoop. He always raps about it. He's from Long Beach, um, and it just makes a lot of sense. So we thought of Leafs by Calvin. Uh, when we ended up shopping that around to some focus groups, um, a lot of them were like, I'm thinking of underwear, or I think of Calvin and Hobbes and immediately we're like, no, we can't do that. Right. And, uh, all of our potential licensees were all telling us the, the brand needs to have the word Snoop or D O G G. it. it has to have pre- preferably both, but it, if it needs to just be one, it can be just be one. Otherwise we don't see the value in the, in this opportunity. And so I said, we should call it LBS. And we should call it Pounds. Um, unfortunately, as the design process went through and we went down the, the road of choosing logos and fonts and colorways and everything, um, the LBS was depicted as Leafs by Snoop. And it was all in capital letters. So for that reason, it didn't immediately click with the average user that it was supposed to be referred to as Pounds, which is obviously a colloquial way of saying, you know, I think he has a song of 50 cent where it's called like, I smoke a pound staring at yep. the caddy on the showroom. Floor. And it's like all these things about like ounceage. And I even remember people in Canada saying to me, uh, we use the metric system up here. Do you think that's going to be a problem? And I said, ask anyone in the gray market or anyone who has been a cannabis user for a long time in Canada. And you tell me how they, they portion out their cannabis. And the thing is, they still sell them in one gram, three and a half grams, seven gram, fourteen gram, twenty-eight gram increments. Why? Because those are based in the standard system we have in the United States, off of ounces and pounds. So you know that that was really it was an interesting exercise. We we went from a beautiful package and beautiful a uh, presentation to a, a, like a, a monochrome white background and a tiny logo because it couldn't be any larger than the warning logo but because we were essentially grandfathered in from the medical market and people and we had i believe about nine months to live and breathe in the medical market people already immediately associated it once we made the transition from leaf spice snoop to lbs um unfortunately that product is no longer in the market uh that brand is no longer in the market i think there were some issues that um, our partner up in Canada had, uh, I'm sure you've heard of them, Canopy Growth um, and Tweed. Uh, I know that that after the success of the Snoop line, they expanded their licensing division quite a bit. Um, I believe they signed on Drake and Justin Bieber, Martha Stewart, um, Houseplant with Seth Rogan. Um, and from my cursory knowledge, obviously they didn't share the exact numbers with us, but Snoop outperformed all of them combined by a large percentage. Um, a new CFO came in who I believe ended up becoming CEO and just completely scrapped that entire division uh, without looking at the the demarcation among the different brands and understanding that one of the brands was carrying all the others, right? So it was kind of just a hack and slash. Um, and um, we're actually coming out with some new product in Canada this summer. So look out for great. that. Great, yeah, great, great. great.
0: And and now, I mean, I, I'm, I'm assuming that leaf is everywhere around the country where we can get cannabis or am I wrong?
1: Yeah, it was available all over in Canada.
0: Um, in the United states.
1: Oh, in the United States, it was only available in Colorado. Um, cool. At the time I had secured some other deals in at least, I believe five or six other States. Um, I I don't know what ended up happening with my boss at the time and Snoop's manager at the time. Um, but I didn't have as free of a direct line to Snoop himself as I do now. So I wasn't able to present him all these opportunities and it got filtered through. Um, but you know, my previous manager was amazing. He was the one who, you know, pointed me out and said, you're the one that's going to run this. Um, you know, I still keep in touch with him to this day, but he and Snoop have separated. So, uh,
0: yeah. Well, okay. Well, then, talk, talk to me a little bit more about some of the challenges you still face even to today when it comes to licensing in the space.
1: Yeah. Um, so what Snoop likes to do is he likes to find something he loves. And I'm not even just talking about cannabis. I'm talking about just anything like shoes. or Like you said, Sketchers, or a drink or a type of flavor. And then he wants to bring it to a wider audience, right? So he wants to put his name on it or figure out how some way to invest into it and bring it to a wider audience. So that is the thesis in which I am pursuing um, these expanding the brand and offering high quality cannabis to fans around the country and hopefully in the future of the world. Um, the issue I would say that's been the most pressing this time around, because this time around, we're really focused on the quality of product, Um, So much so that I want to make sure there is at least one strain or product skew in any product mix in any territory that Snoop will actually consume. And if not, at least he will be able and very proud to present to his homies, this is my product, right? Um, I'm not sure if that was the case previously. I don't think it was. But I know now with the SOPs that we have developed um, he is constantly actually trying to get us to give him more product from our California market. So what I'm, what's I what been difficult about that is any group outside of California that we want to work with that grows quality cannabis, they probably already sell through it all because it's good weed. It's good product. They have the market on lock. And if they are a, a well-positioned company, solvent, and have good business operations... Why are they going to want to bring another group on if they're already selling through all their cannabis? Right, they have to see a greater value to things, and that's actually what Snoop does bring. Right, he he comes in and he's like, "I actually like your product. Like, it's I'm not I'm not just trying to make a deal here. Um, I've sent my head of QA QC, uh, Shaggy. Shaggy has been with Snoop for 15 years. He worked at his, as his sound engineer the night shift. So what ends up happening in the night shift is it gets a little dead." And so Snoop and Shaggy end up just smoking and talking about weed for hours. And so now after we get uh, a deal going, I will send Shaggy out to Michigan or Illinois, wherever, whatever territory we are looking to do. And he will, he also has grown in the past. He will do a a walkthrough as well as QA, QC, the product. And he and his team actually do a little bit of secret shopping sometimes as well to make sure our product is always um, very much up to our standards in any territory. Um, right now, death row cannabis is only available in California, but soon, hopefully by the end of this year, in several other territories, uh, we're working some of these, these deal points out, getting them executed, as well as looking at our product release timeline. Um, but yeah, in terms of the licensing industry, it's really hard for a lot of groups. You know, so let's say they're not a celebrity backed brand. It's going to be hard for these groups to figure out and vet which companies, which produ- production agencies or uh, licensed facilities are right for them because their brand ethos might be different uh, than what their production partner actually uh, espouses. So there's, there's so many different ways that uh, there can be friction among the actual brand owner, uh, an SOP owner, the IP owner. Uh, versus the actual production facilities in each territory. So we're trying our best to figure out the best producers in each category and territory and working with them to bring them and elevate them and bring them the Snoop Halo effect.
0: Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. For sure. Well, you know, at some point in time, as you're looking down the road, I still think that, um, you know, there probably would be no better champion than Snoop to actually flip the switch real quick on people and become the educator. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I think people would go? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I think we're really like. What's next? What's next for Snoop and you?
1: Um, I would say what's next is definitely expanding the brand nationwide and then internationally as well, and figuring out which new categories we're looking at. We're looking at the hemp market. That's something that is federally legal and extremely attractive. We can get the brand and we can get Snoop into. You know, I, I don't want to say all 50 states, but there are some states who have restricted hemp derived cannabinoids or and or access just because I think they want to protect their recreational markets, which is totally understandable. But to go state by state and look in the major market versus like a large swath potentially with the hemp with a hemp product, whether it's a beverage or a, a gummy or a vape or whatever it is, it's easier to to market and it's easier to get into people's hands and understand that like hemp is federally legal. I don't know how this is still, uh, I know they're working through it in Congress. The FDA has decided not to regulate it. Um, All of my lawyers are telling me a couple different things every week. So it's always interesting to see and follow on what's happening. Um, But I would say that expansion and and product uh, uh, R&D are our biggest things coming up.
0: Super, super. Well, I tell you, you always got a home here. If you want to come back and chat a little bit more, we'd love to have you for sure. And you know, tell Snoop, I'd love to have him on if he ever wants to come on. Um, you know, uh, I've had some, some fairly decent luminaries on. So I think he would, you know, like to if you take a look at our lineup of shows. He'd see them yeah. very well in. Yes. And, um, you know, if there's anything I can ever do, let me know.
1: I really appreciate that. And I will definitely let Snoop know uh, and try to get him on here. I think. He, he, he doesn't mind doing zooms now because he knows he can do it from the comfort of his own recording studio and, and the compound. So sure. uh, we'll figure out a way to get you out to, to Snoop's compound as well. Cool. Um, He's sure. Like 150,000 square foot. Uh, space where there's like five recording studios. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's, you like, know,
0: I, I literally was in his compound out there once and um, I, I guess his previous manager, we were working on a project together uh, with the last prisoner project. Uh, that would have been a really decent one, but that kind of fell apart because as I parted <sighs> ways. but um, you know, let's circle back around and see if there's something synergistic we can do. Yeah. Um.
1: Actually, if we're t- just, just to reference, I know you said the last prisoner project um, you should do you know who Weldon Angelos is or the Weldon Project?
0: Um I no, but I do know uh, D'Angelo.
1: Okay, yeah. Uh so Steve D'Angelo is different than Weldon Angelos. They're they're okay. two completely different people. So Weldon Angelos um actually back in the 90s was a uh engineer for Tupac and Snoop and some other Death Row Records uh artists. I think he was in Arizona when he got picked up by the police for possession with intent to distribute and got thrown in jail for, I think, 13 or 17 years. Uh, recently got out in 2020, commuted by Trump and then worked with Biden last year to announce federal expungements, uh, federal record expungements in November last year. So he is essentially working. It's called the Weldon Project and Green Mission and what they do, and we're partnered with them, obviously Snoop and Weldon have known each other for a long time, uh, is raise money for extremely, I, like obviously effective ways to help individuals who have been incarcerated by the war on drugs. So things like commissary, it doesn't even, when when I was talking to him, he was like, people don't realize that it. you can't get a toothbrush. You can't get like toilet paper. There's just some basic things outside that you don't realize are just like luxuries or, um, you know, helping the families of the people who are incarcerated or legal help. So there are very obvious here are the five thousand dollars that we are committing to these three families. Right. So it's very you know where your money is going and you feel very um, you, you understand the impact of what he and his his group is doing. So uh, that's the one thing I'd like to plug. You should check out the Weldon Project with Weldon Angelos.
0: Okay, well, give me some idea. You should get some information to our office about that because I tell you, we've been working, we've worked very closely with the L.S. Prison Project and and helped to, you know, get several people, at least the movement to get them out of prison. I've gotten responses back from governors, states, attorneys, and attorney generals. And so, you know, let me know and uh, let's see if there's something we can do for you.
1: We make an introduction. This doesn't need to be recorded, but I'm gonna I'm gonna make an introduction to him and his PR team, and I think that
0: would be great. Great, no, thank you so much. And you look, you take care of yourself, you be well, and thank you so much for being a part of our show today. And thank you for tuning in to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Make sure you see the next one. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback, also, so please send us your comments.